Uh, well, I recognise a few, uh, I, I say recognise, recognise is probably the wrong word. I notice a few unfamiliar faces in the congregation this evening. So it'd be worth, before diving into the message for this evening, just to point out that we're sort of coming to the end of a five-part series. We've been thinking about five ways in which everybody can and should be involved in spreading the gospel. And we started by thinking about how we can all be praying for the gospel. We can all be giving for the gospel. We can all be living in a way that commends the gospel. We all have opportunities to speak and tell the gospel to others. And today we're considering the last in our little series, which is how being part of a church is a way for us to be spreading the gospel. Being part of a church is a way to be spreading the gospel. And actually, I've I've thought a little bit how I can clarify that a, uh, a little this evening. So this is my statement that I want to try and get over. And if you're taking notes, this is the, this is my main point really this evening. I'm giving you it up front so you could, you know, in five minutes, get up and walk out if you like. But I hope you'll listen a bit longer and hear my reasoning behind what I have to say. But this is, this is the idea. That by being a committed member of your local church, you are playing an active part in spreading the gospel. By being a committed member, of your local church, you are playing an active part in spreading the gospel. Three particular adjectives I want to draw your attention to there. By being a committed member of your local church. So that's not just a sort of, oh, I know which is my closest church and I turn up every now and again when it suits me or when I'm not busy with other things on the weekend or whatever else might distract you from your commitment to the local church. The idea is that wholehearted commitment to the local church is what plays a role in you being an active uh, spreader of the gospel. But I was careful to use the word commitment rather than any others because, well, let's think about how you measure commitment. It might have been tempting to put attendee. You are a regular attendee of the church. But attendance is often a measure of commitment, but it's not the only measure of commitment. And I didn't want to bind the message this evening with unnecessary boundaries or restrictions. And so I've used this word, commitment. And to each, it'll be a measure uh, of, well, it'll be, it'll be a, a personal assessment. Are you committed to the local church? A second adjective is local. The gospel witness that I'm going to talk about this evening depends upon believers knowing, loving, caring for one another, meeting together regularly, in a way that the world can see. And the only way I can envisage that happening is if believers are meeting together as a local church, a real gathering of real people in a real place. So not an internet church, for example. Not some vague idea of, oh, I'm a Christian and I'm part of the universal church. I just flick church to church and, and, and listen to preaching wherever I like. But this is commitment to a, a local church. And the third adjective I chose was active. By being a committed member of your local church, you are playing an active part in sharing the gospel. Not just that there is a role there for you to do, and you've just got to find it and fit into it. No, what I'm saying this evening is by being a committed member, you are playing an active part in spreading the gospel. When you consider the topic of evangelism, 
it often does two particular things. First, it, it can have a tendency to raise feelings of guilt. Do you feel that? That sometimes we just feel that, man, I wish I could be telling more people about the goodness of this gospel that I know. I wish I could go and tell others, but you know, I'm just not so good at it. I'm fearful. I don't know the answers. I don't know how to do it. I'm, I'm not in the habit of doing it. And any time that the topic of evangelism comes up, it feels like a weight on my shoulders again. This is what I should be doing, and, and this is really what I'm not doing. It can often raise feelings of guilt. And the second tendency that, that stems from that is it, it can tend towards a certain division in the church. Because of our guilt, what we do is we, we hire or contract out these evangelists. These guys will go and do the telling for us. We'll send them out into the town. We'll send them door knocking. We'll pay them and they can do the work for us. But all that that does is create a, a division, a separation, a hierarchy, as it were. We're the normal Christians and we're paying the super holy, the, the superior Christians to go and do the real work of evangelism. If we try and remove that guilt issue, then there's a tendency for us to be uh, um, accused of saying, look, you're just raising the issue of division. Uh, are you saying, if, if you try and remove the guilt from people, uh, the, are you saying that only certain people, therefore, should evangelize? If you try and remove the guilt and say, look, you, you don't need to be the ones going out and telling others. You don't need to be the ones standing in the marketplace. Is that fuel to the fire of, okay, well, let's get evangelists in to contract out to do it. So there's a tendency, if you try and remove the guilt issue, you raise up the division issue. But if you try and get rid of the division issue, no, it's not just for a certain few, it's for everybody. Well, then you have the tendency of raising up the guilt issue. Oh, it's not just for a certain few, it's for everybody. Whoa, are you saying that I'm supposed to be a Billy Graham or something? That's just not me. But what I'm going to try and portray this evening is that the biblical pattern of a gospel-shaped church just blows these two tendencies out of the water. If we get right the biblical pattern of a gospel-shaped church, there is no room for guilt, and there is no room for division in this church. But actually what we find is that even those who seem feeblest in the church, those who seem weakest, are having an active role in spreading the gospel. It all depends upon our view of the shape and the function that we have within the local church. But first, what we need to do is be clear on what the church is all about. What is the mission of the church? Why do we have churches? Why are we here? Well, to answer that question, we need to go back right to the beginning of the church, to see the first churches setting up, the first disciples forming those first churches. And the book of the New Testament that most clearly deals with that is the book of Acts. And Acts starts with Jesus gathering his apostles to him just before Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. And Jesus tells his apostles, he says, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The first apostles were commissioned by Jesus. The last thing that Jesus gave them to do before he ascended to heaven, he says, you are going to be my witnesses. And that witnessing isn't just a, a passive sense, or oh, the answer is somebody asks. That witnessing is, is an active sense. 
they are going to be testimonies. They're going to be going out and sharing it with others. You could read about this in, in the Gospels. All four of the Gospels have some reference to Jesus commissioning his, his apostles to go out. Perhaps the most famous, Matthew 28. Go and make disciples, Jesus says, of all nations. Go and baptize them. Go and teach them. And I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus commissions those first apostles to go and be witnesses for him. And as you read through Acts, you see that's exactly what they do. Almost every chapter of Acts, you can see the apostles putting this command into practice. So chapter 1, what they're doing, they're gathering together, they choose another apostle to replace Judas. Because we need another witness with us to be a witness to the world about who Jesus is. Chapter 2, there's this outpouring of the Spirit and Peter gets up and preaches to the crowds in Jerusalem. He is a witness by the way the Spirit works through him, by the way he speaks, and he calls people to repentance and to faith. Chapter 3, Peter and John go and they heal a beggar, a lame beggar. They heal him not just as an act of philanthropy, but as a, a witness to the power of Christ. And as all the crowds gather around to see this commotion and what's happening here with this man who's been healed, Peter and John take the opportunity to preach. They are witnesses. Chapter 4, Peter and John get arrested. And what is the church doing? What what are the other believers doing? They're praying for Peter and John. And they're praying that this opposition, that this persecution, wouldn't restrict the witness. That it wouldn't stop the witness. They're praying that the witness would go on and continue to spread. And in Acts chapter 5, well, nearly all the the apostles get put into prison together. And an angel comes and releases them. But why does the angel release them? What command does the angel give them to do? He says, not just go home to your families and, and sit quiet. He says, go and preach. And the very next day, the apostles are back out preaching, being a witness for Christ. Chapter after chapter through Acts, the apostles are being witnesses for Jesus Christ. They're traveling around, they're facing opposition, they are making disciples, they are teaching others. Now you might claim, okay, we we see what's going on in Acts, we see what the apostles are doing, but isn't that exactly what Acts is about? It's, It's the apostles there. You're trying to make a case for what the church is about. Why do you think that the church's mission is the same as those original apostles' mission? The apostles had a mission to make disciples. Why are we saying that's the same for the church today? Well, three simple reasons. First, if you look at that commission in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus tells the apostles to go and teach these new disciples everything I've commanded you. So the command that the apostles have received to go and make disciples... That's the command that is to be passed on to those who become disciples. You also now should go and make disciples. Secondly, when Jesus gives that commission, go and make disciples of all nations, he accompanies it with a promise. And I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Why would Jesus give that promise that we all would love to claim is is still true today, and actually in Jesus' words is still true today. He will be with us to the very end of the age. Why are we happy to claim the promise there is still true if we're not saying also the commission still holds? No, Jesus joined them both together. He says, go and make disciples, speaking to the apostles, but expecting the church to pick up that same command. 
And the promise that goes with it is first for the apostles, but then also picked up by the church. And I will be with you as you go. And third reason, just look at how the apostles deal with church when it comes up. I'll give you a brief run-through of Acts 1-5. to And in chapter 6, you get this dispute in the church. The Grecian widows, Christian widows, are being overlooked in favour of the Hebrew widows for food. And there's a disparity here between the amount of food and the care that is being received. And so they come to the apostles and they say, this is the disparity, we want you to sort it out. This is the apostles' responsibility. But what do the apostles do? They say, if we put all of our energies into dealing with this issue, it's going to distract from our mission. From our mission of making disciples, of being witnesses to the world. And so they choose from among the believers certain men to look after this this job. They're the people that we commonly call the first deacons. They're given this role of sharing the food out fairly and evenly among the widows. But you see, these when you, when you read the account in Acts chapter 6, uh, Luke writes this. It says, They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples increased rapidly. The apostles get together and start building this church structure, if you like. But this church structure isn't a distraction from their main mission. In fact, this church structure, these deacons that have been brought in, are brought in in order to serve and in order to enhance the the mission that they're set on. It's not to to sideline the main mission of making disciples, oh, now we've got another group over here who's doing something slightly different. No, this group is still serving the same mission. They're set about with these different roles in order to make uh, better effective the main mission of making disciples. And that's exactly the way the church continues throughout the New Testament. The church and the members in the church don't all become carbon copies of the apostles. But the church together, as a unit, picks up that same mission that the apostles are given. And the different members within the church each have different roles in order to support that mission. And the passage that perhaps most clearly depicts this pattern is the passage that we read, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul paints us a great picture of how the church is supposed to work. He shows the believers how they've they've each got these different spiritual gifts. But how are they supposed to use these different spiritual gifts alongside each other? Well, he doesn't start his chapter by giving a list of the most important gifts. Start with these, and then if you've got a bit more time left after your service, have a go at these, and then have a go at these. No, he says, he starts with the idea that each has a role to play in the body. Each one serves the other. He says, for example, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? He says, look, if you were all apostles, if you were all prophets, if you were all speaking in tongues, whatever, whatever gift you might choose... You'd be, you'd be severely lacking in several other gifts. And so all these gifts are given to complement and to work alongside one another. We're not, as a church, an army of soldiers. We're not clones. We're not all identical copies of one another, all with the same task to do. Our strength isn't in our numbers. 
Our strength is in our interdependence. Each one depending on and being supported by the other. And and this really fits with the the imagery of a a body as a whole. You can think of how a sports person might, might think, for example, that only certain parts of their body are useful. And yet there have been a number of examples throughout sporting history that have shown that is clearly not the case. A little cycling one for you, because last week I told you how I love cycling. So, two years ago, the Tour of Italy, or Giro d'Italia if you prefer, Tom de Moulin is winning winning the third week of a three-week race, and he's got two minutes over his rival. And what are the important body parts for his cyclist? His lungs, his heart, and his legs, surely. Just come on, keep the legs moving, keep the heart pumping, keep the lungs drawing in oxygen. Well, one day in this third week, on one of the last mountain stages, one of the last opportunities to gain time, his stomach stopped working properly. His digestive system was playing up. And just before the last hill of the day, he had to stop and relieve himself. And almost all of his time that he'd spent two and a half weeks building up to, to secure his victory, he lost in one moment of his, not his legs giving up, not his heart giving up, not his lungs giving up, but his, his stomach. Some of you, a, a local uh, reference, Paula Radcliffe, you'll remember a number of years back, she stopped in the London Marathon, didn't she? And had to relieve herself again. Not because her legs were giving up, not because her heart was giving up, but because her, her bowels were giving up. You see, the body, we can't, we, we can't restrict the mission of the body to, to one or two important functions. Uh, the, the body is on a mission. The church body is on a mission to make disciples. And yes, some roles in the church are easier to observe in the way that they support that mission. Just like it's easier to see how the legs might be more important for a cyclist, or the heart, or the lungs, or whatever. It's easier to see how the apostles are doing the, the witnessing. But the idea of the church being a body means that all members of the body are required if that mission is going to be accomplished. All members of the body are required if that mission is going to be accomplished. So let's take a practical example from our, from our own experience. What about the Holiday Bible Club that we're expecting to run later this year? What's going to make that Holiday Bible Club a success? What's going to make that Holiday Bible Club an opportunity for us to make disciples? Well, it would be easy to point to some of the more obvious roles. The teaching. You want the kids to be taught well, to be taught clearly, for them to understand what the gospel is. And that's true. That's, that will be one of the roles that go into making the Holiday Bible Club a success. But think also of the treasurer, who makes sure that we've got enough money and we've got all the right equipment in. Think also of the people who are doing the, the catering and making sure that people are welcomed and people are attentive when they're listening. Think also of those people doing the organisation, the painting, and the, the getting the crafts all set up and ready. Think of those doing the uh, child protection policy, and the registering, and all that goes with it. Uh, think of those cleaning the church, getting the grounds ready, doing the upkeep of the building, making sure we've got a place to meet. Think of those who spend many hours together with us in prayer. If any of these roles were cut out of that one-week mission, the the whole thing has a risk of being jeopardised. You see, it's easy to pinpoint and say, oh, it's the teaching, that's what's going to make it a success. 
But really, in order for the week to be a success, it's all of these members of the body working together. Without those other people, the whole thing would fall apart and be useless, no matter how good the speaker or the teacher might be. So what are some practical ways then in which we as committed members of the local church can be playing an active role in spreading the gospel? Now it might be thought that what I'm saying here is that, okay, we've got some who are speaking, ah, but they're a different part of the body to me. And my role needn't be now speaking because I'm just one part of the body. The mouth does the speaking, well, I'm the little finger. No speaking for me. But that's not what I'm saying. And if you were here a few weeks ago, you will have heard how each of us has a responsibility to speak, to tell the gospel to those around us. But that doesn't mean that each and every one of us has to be knocking on the doors, standing in the marketplace, handing out leaflets at the train station, whatever else it might be. Each of us has a responsibility to speak, to tell the gospel. But that might be those patient ears sitting listening to the unbeliever who's wrestling with certain issues. You do that in the context of the church. You do that in regular weekly Bible studies with friends or family or people you've got to know through the church. Speaking for the gospel might be offering the invitation to the evangelistic event or the men's breakfast or whatever else it might be. And yet, yes, some might be the mouth. Some people might be those who have the ability and the gifts and and the opportunity to go and knock on doors and to stand in the marketplace and to stand at the train station handing out leaflets, contacting people, confronting people with the truth of the gospel and offering them this hope. The church is a body. Without those who are doing the sort of cold contacting work, the body's not going to achieve its mission. But equally, without those doing the patient listening, dialogue, Talking, explaining, persuading. The church isn't going to achieve its mission. Without those being faithful witness to their families and to their colleagues and to their neighbours, the church isn't going to achieve its mission. And so as a member of the local church, you have a responsibility to speak the gospel. But for different people, that will, look, uh, that, that will show itself in different ways. Which leads to The second point. The different members of the body are not existing in isolation from one another. You exist as a member of the body. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 25 says that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. The church is a place where Christians serve one another and love one another and build one another up and help one another. The church is a place where your problems become my problems. The church is a place where your concerns are also my concerns. The church is a place where your griefs and reasons to rejoice are my griefs and reasons to rejoice. And in the words of Jesus, it's this love for one another that is itself a witness to the world. Just this loving, this care this compassion towards each other within the church is a witness to the world that you are my disciples. Now, how are you going to achieve that care and compassion for one another if you are not a committed member of a local church? 
if you only turn up occasionally, if you don't really know people, and if people don't really know you, if you're not involved with one another's lives, how are you going to achieve this loving compassion and care? If you're only interacting with people on the internet in, in ways that the world cannot see, how is your, even if you have this love for one another in ways that I've still yet to figure out how you might achieve, how is that going to be a witness to the world? How are they going to see this love and care and compassion you have for each other? In order to be a witness in this way, you need to be a committed member of a local church or else the world simply will not see you. Which leads to the final point. That the gathering of the church week by week is in itself a testimony to the world. Our prayers, our worship together, our singing, just now our gathering is a witness to the world that there is a God who is worth worshipping, who is worth giving time for, who is worth turning up for. And part of our worship, part of what we sing, part of how we pray, part of how we lead our service includes words and actions that are a call to unbelievers to turn to Christ in faith and repentance. You know, we don't all write the hymns. We don't all play the music. But we can all come together as a body and sing together. We can all come and worship. And in so doing, we can be a witness that this God is true and that he's worth worshipping. So just by being a committed member of the local church, we are having an active part in sharing the gospel in some way. A few implications to finish. This is good news if you are perhaps elderly. You've had many years of faithful service in the church You've been very active in your role in serving others, perhaps even being one of those who goes knocking on doors and out into the marketplace. And now your age and your poor health means that you can't get out anymore. You struggle even to make it out for the Sunday service. How can you be any use to the church? How can you be doing God any glory, sat at home on your chair, struggling just to survive each day? If you are a member of the body, Even those that seem weakest are, Paul says, indispensable. And as a member of the body, you have in some way an active role in the the church's mission. That might be, for example, by allowing others to care for you. Allowing others to care for you is a way in which you can become part of the world's witness, uh, the church's witness to the world, that this church cares for one another because we have been shown grace by Jesus Christ. Your prayers, your giving can support those who still have the energy and the ability to go out knocking on doors and into the marketplace. The doctrine of the church body is a help to those who are elderly and infirm. What about those who are energetic? Uh, I've got three E's, by the way. Elderly, energetic and eager. So, we've done the elderly. This is energetic. You, you are doing much. You've got, you've got a vision for uh, working in the church, for helping those around you, for, for getting stuck into whatever gets put up on the rotor. If there's a notice board goes up in the hallway, you're the first to stick your name on. You're the energetic type. You're ready to serve. 
it'd be worth just asking yourself this question. Have I, have I ever lost sight of the mission of the church? Am I doing for the sake of doing? Am I getting stuck into issues just for the sake of getting stuck in? Am I dreaming up new opportunities or new systems or new rotors for the church to pick up? But having lost sight of the church's main mission, which is to make disciples. It's not necessary that you have in your service, but it'd be worth just asking yourself, have I, have I still got sight of the church's main mission to make disciples? And what about those who are eager? Those who are chomping at the bit to go out knocking on doors. Those who are chomping at the bit to stand in the marketplace and draw others with them. What does this doctrine teach for you? Well, we as a church can't achieve our mission without people like you. We won't be reaching the world unless we are confronting people with the gospel. But equally, you can't achieve the mission without the support and backing of the church. Even those who seem, indis- uh, th- even those who seem weakest are indispensable.